This interview is made possible by the VIEW conference. The biggest computer graphics conference in Italy. This year, our dates are from the 17th to the 22nd of October. And for details about the conference and tickets, please visit the website viewconference.it. Hi everyone, my name is Marilena Gutierrez. I am the director of the VIEW conference. I will be your host today for this interview. Today we are interviewing the splendid storyteller, the award-winning director of Bombay Rose, Gitanjeli Rao. Thank you, Gitanjeli, for being here with us. Thank you, Maria Elena. It is always a pleasure. I would never say no to you uh, because it, we had such a nice time uh, talking already and even the questions. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you. We are very excited to have you. And just for our audience, I would like to mention that uh, this interview is made possible by the VIEW conference. The VIEW conference is the biggest computer graphics conference in Italy. And it happens once a year in October. This year, our dates are from the 17th to the 22nd of October. And for details about the conference and tickets and all those sorts of things, please visit the website, viewconference.it. Dreams can be pondered over anywhere. So why the sea? Dreams have no boundaries there. How much? A hundred rupees for ten. Be careful, Salim. You know what I mean, right? Hello, Tara. Who is this young lady with you? It's Miss D'Souza. I wish to hear only good English in our class together. He saved Cat from that truck and I saved him from being arrested. So he hero and I hero. Take this for the flowers and also to stay away from the girl. Hey, wait. Listen, wait. Salim. Kamala. Answer me, eh? Mm. I'm going to totally ruin you. And everyone in your family too. You know, I am really intrigued um, by your beautiful work. Um, you know, I think that uh, all, the, all the work I have seen from you, from Printed Rainbow to your uh, debut feature film, Bombay Rose, is really impressive. I, I mean, you're really a master storyteller. Um, so, you know, I'm just very excited to have the opportunity to interview you. And in fact, I would like to ask uh, my first question uh, is um, about the medium of animation. Why, <laughs> why is animation uh, your preferred form of art? When I was, when I passed out of uh, college, um, at the age of like 20, 21, all I wanted to do was to get involved in making films. And at that time, it was live action films because that is what I had seen. And I was enamored by um, films from India, from all over the world, whatever little one could see back in the 1990s. This is before, of course, the uh, internet. So I finished my art college and uh, my art college enabled me to get into advertising, but I was quite sure I didn't want to do advertising. I wanted to get into uh, some way of making movies. And um, it was impossible for me to do a course in uh, filmmaking. I had to get onto a job. 
And this was 1994. So things were very difficult at that time. Um, and somebody told me that there is a course of, anim uh, that there is a studio uh, which does animation and it is interested in taking art students and teaching them animation, training them to become animators. And around this time, I had uh, watched a short, uh, a film festival in Bombay uh, where they had shown um, animation films by a Polish animator called Yashik Kucha. It was a retrospective of his entire lifetime of work. And it was only seven films. And they were not very long. They were all short films. But the films were very, very beautiful. They were very evocative. They were very poetic. There was a lot of cinema in it. There was very little spoken. It was all etched in uh, on, the, on film and drawn very beautifully. And for me, this was my first exposure to animation, which is not necessarily Disney. And at that time, there was only Disney. There was no Pixar, no DreamWorks, nothing. So it was not the conventional animation. It was very unconventional. It was very personal. It had a very strong message. And it was very socio-politically aware. So at, at, at that point, I felt this is the most beautiful way of bringing the fact that you can draw and paint and that you want to make a film out of it together. So animation for me became that medium where I could pursue my dream of getting into films and I, I could also pursue what I had studied, which was art, and to make the two things come together. And so I joined the studio and for the first uh, six months we got training, which was of course in the, more, in the conventional style of animation. But when it comes to training, I think it's very nice to have a conventional base and a background. So we were learning the Disney uh, kind of animation. And that kind of gave me the skill which I even today have uh, to today possess to be able to make my films. So somewhere this want to get into the movies and also the fact that I can draw came together in animation and therefore animation and it has stayed like that. Wow, I, I uh, uh, really love your rich style, your rich language. And my follow-up question will be about um, your creative journey, how you, how you found, how you discovered your, your personal style, your, your, your artistic vision, your voice. I mean, because you have a very particular voice. Uh, again, I would like to thank you for the compliment because I think I'm still searching for it. And if you, if you say uh, you feel I have a voice, then that makes me feel, yes, I do. And I think that's very healthy for most uh, uh, artists to let it be a reflection, to let people uh, uh, inform you that you have a voice. I started working in an animation studio, which was doing a lot of advertising work, a lot of commercial work. So over there, we were taught animation, which the basics of animation from the formula from Disney. And that, as I said, it works very well when you need to learn your skill. But I was never really satisfied in doing that kind of animation all the time. There was also another thing which would happen is that people around the world would be doing beautiful animation. And when it came to India, this is again back in the 90s, we were very young. So we were asked to do animation like it is done in the rest of the world. So the studio that I came from was always attempting to do animation, which is not really Indian, which is not our voice, but which sells or which is popular. So we were trained to become good in that kind of animation. And the more and more I did it, the less and less attracted I felt to it, the less and less I believed in it. At that same time, I uh, there was one of the uh, people from the studio who had gone and joined National Film Board of Canada. So she used to send us these uh, VHS cassettes. At that time, it was uh, videos. So she used to send us these video cassettes, which had all of National Film Board of Canada films in one uh, VHS, three volumes. And in a little place in India, where, again, when there is no internet, you receive the, this video cassettes and you watch the films and it is films from all over the world. And it's very, very individual style of animators doing short films. So for me, this became my inspiration. I felt if this is what artists are doing all over the world, then I want to do this also. Except how to do it and how to go about doing it was very different. All these countries had support from, uh, as, as support in terms of finance and funding from the countries to be able to make short films because short animation films are not, um, do not, cannot make too much money. But that situation was not there in India. 
when I was inspired by it, I said, I want to uh, try and make it. And I started working on trying to develop my own style. Of course, it was very, very difficult. I remember doing a, a, a workshop of, uh, with Yerji Kucha, the Polish animator, whose films I had seen and decided to take animation. Three years later, he was back at the same festival and he was doing a workshop. And uh, there was just 10 of us and it was just a three-day workshop, but it was very precious because here there was somebody from Poland whose work you really like coming and sharing his experience with you. So I joined the workshop and uh, we had a very nice intense session where he told me uh, about my films that I do not have a style of my own and that I should pursue it. And so I, since I was self-taught in animation, I used to take these opportunities. The next year I went to Poland and I did a one month long workshop in Poland with Yerzy Kucha. And then that's where I realized how the students over there are encouraged to uh, follow their own style. I came back and started working in, in a way that took advantage of the fact that I could take a lot of, uh, I could imitate a lot of different styles. So finally, my style became telling a story in which I bring to life uh, uh, an imagery or a form of art and learn how to animate it, explore how to animate it and animate it in my films. So finally, I, could, I took a lot of styles which didn't belong to animators, which belonged to miniature paintings, still art, uh, truck paintings, the arts that I was seeing around me in India. And I started moving them, animating them, and exploring how to animate them. And they all came into my films. One of the things I really love about Van Bay Rose is, uh, well, the way you use uh, different artistic styles, vision, different visual styles. But I mean, you're telling, I mean, the, the, the movie is really so, is utterly complex. I mean, it's happening at the storytelling level, the music level, the dance level. And I think you use uh, language, which is symbolic. I mean, you're using very effectively folklore and legend and the, the, the language of mythology and fables. And I think this is like very unique. I mean, to me, the way you fragment the linear narrative, um, using this symbolic language, which gives a sense of plurality. And obviously it's, it's the space of legend, it's the space of storytelling. I mean, um, when you go in the head of your uh, of your um, characters, I mean, it's really interesting. There was a, a question that I was going to ask you about. Uh, really, this the linear narrative happening in the story, and how you are using that as a way of fragmenting time and space through mythology and and fable and the space of dreams. The, the stream of consciousness kind of uh, approach. And I think that is really interesting. I mean, I had to see the movie a few times just to understand how you were opening up the space and you, maybe there, there's a sequence in which we're watching the, the, the textures and rich colors of the market. And then suddenly we are in a palace and, uh, you are in a, in, in a space of mythology. The way you read it is, is beautiful because what makes so much of an effort, but people don't get it. So when you, uh, when you do and when you elaborate on it, of course, it feels very nice because this is the reason why we put everything that we do into every film. Um, how I look at it is, uh, for me, the characters, each of the characters and all my characters in all my films are dreamers. I feel all people are dreamers. Uh, all of us have a capacity to dream, to imagine, to fantasize. This happens all the time. Like whenever we are in a difficult situation, or like when we are very uncomfortable, we are in a flight and you, it, it's really long and you're losing patience. You start imagining, you start imagining yourself in a better place, in a better time. I do that a lot. And I feel people escape from the mundane reality of life and they daydream. All of us, if given a chance, love to daydream. And daydreaming is very relaxing. It just brings your life, stress, everything down to normal. It's like doing yoga or, uh, or having a drink or any of these things. It's very precious. And we don't seem to have time for it at all. We don't 
pay much uh, respected, but I am a daydreamer and I see people around me doing that. And for me, all my characters have time in life to do that. The reason being, they have very complex lives. And if I have to tell their life stories, I would also like to tell what they do in their leisure or what they do in order to cope with difficult times. So the girl, when she's weaving her uh, garland, it's a very mechanical job. She has to do so many of them uh, through the day for three or four hours and sit in one place. She has a lot of time to think. And she thinks and she dreams and she wishes that she was out of this place and that things were beautiful, that uh, a prince uh, would fall in love with her and take her on a horseback and all those kind of dreams. So she dreams freely. Now, I would love to go into a dream and through the dream, not just show her wasting time, but show what she's all about, the history that uh, she comes from. So I take the two things and I make it a richer story by allowing my uh, characters to go into their dream spaces. Their dream spaces are not necessarily just imagined spaces. They can be legends that have happened in the place that they come from, which happens to the, uh, the young girl. She comes from a place in Mandu in uh, India, where there is a story about a Muslim prince falling in love with a Hindu girl because she could sing very well. And finally, she had to jump uh, down from the fort because uh, the army attacked them. So that was a tragic story. But there, there is a real Romeo and Juliet legend that happened. And this girl is thinking about that. So all my uh, stories are very, very rooted in reality. Yet I take them into the level of fantasy purely by the way I visualize it. So for the boy, he has seen these paintings uh, on his truck. And of course, when he's doing these paintings on the truck with his father, like any uh, person would, you see those images coming into life and taking you away from the mundaneness. Same with the old woman who has acted in uh, films. For her, she wants to relive that period of her life, which was very pleasant, even in the cruel reality of today. So what does she do? She imagines she's still living in that time. And it's not very really difficult to live in that time, to put your own music, to close yourself, to have your little cat and to keep yourself in a... A space where everything seems to be at that time but it also extends when she goes out of a house now that's the beauty uh, of animation we can actually because of the medium of animation some things which are not which are impossible to do in live action i can do it quite easily in animation and i love doing things which are impossible to do in uh, live action so when the old woman walks out into a bombay of 2017 uh, or 18 she, as she walks, the Bombay turns into 1950s and how it used to be at that time. So that is also a reality. That's not something that she imagines. That is a reality of Bombay 1950s. So I get a chance to read through her to let the audience relive that uh, fantasy. So yes, to make my stories rich, I use their imagination and also to make my characters richer, to show what, where they came from, what they have lost and what they are uh, working towards. I, I loved the, the, the way you used time uh, to tell the story of Miss, Miss Souza. I mean, yeah. she lives really frozen and crystallized in time and in her memories. And it's interesting how, I mean, older people tend to have that kind of vision. They live in the past more than living in the future. But Tara is more looking to the future, talking about, or the present, her scores, and she's more in the present time. So it's interesting how you also give the richness of the characters and the generational um, diversity uh, between the characters through how they perceive time and space. I, I thought it was just beautiful how you were liking, liking theater, like you're changing the backdrop, you're changing the scene, and as she's walking along, She's um, the, 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 the color is changing. And when she has that whole monologue in front of the mirror and she's 30 years younger or so, and she's in black and white and she's in color, just like splitting the character like that is, that it was just really, really a masterful gesture. This is the reddest rose. The bestest smell. Best. Best smell. 
Well, I think you have answered the que this question already to, uh, to a certain extent, the question about your mentors. I'm curious, you know, uh, uh, but um, maybe you can uh, go deeper. I mean, telling us who are some of your animation heroes. You mentioned one already, your, story, your storytelling heroes, you know, people who have influenced your life, whether they were other animators or maybe non-artists. I mean, who, who, who are the people who have inspired you and who have been influential in your life? Especially because, again, for someone like me who's not studied formally, who's not formally studied cinema, not formally studied animation, I have studied from uh, mentors, from individuals, and not just in animation. Um, in animation, of course, my biggest mentor has been uh, the Polish animation uh, animator, uh, Jerzy Kuczyk, from um, about 25 years back that... Uh, I first met him and then continued doing my work. So even as I uh, made Printed Rainbow, I showed him my uh, um, storyboard. And uh, even when I was making True Love Story, of course, it was over the internet because going to Poland was not easy. But he was always there for me uh, for uh, until I was making short films. Another a person who under whom I learned animation and who I worked with was uh, Ram Mohan. Uh, he's a father of uh, Indian animation. Just about all of us, my generation uh, and later, have studied animation under him. So we all come from a place where, um, uh, from a place and a time where there were not too many animation uh, institutes in India teaching. There was probably one or two and there would be 10 seats or 15 seats and we are like a million people. So it was very insufficient. So for us, uh, Ram Mohan became like an unofficial school of uh, teaching a lot of us, many gen four, about three generations of animators that exist right now have learned under him. So Ram Mohan has been my biggest mentor, two years that I worked with him. And while I was working with him, uh, one of his students, Ajit Rao, went to the US on a scholarship and uh, just for three months. And when he came back to Sheridan School, so when he came back, he came back with this uh, syllabus of how Sheridan teaches animation. And then he joined, called a bunch of us and he, over six months, he taught us animation as it was taught over there. This was very precious for people like us. Again, you're so cut off from the rest of the world. We are a third world country. There's no internet. There's no way we can go abroad and study. So this person goes and he comes back and 20, 30 of us learn the basics of animation. So Ajit Rao is one person who not just taught me animation, who also taught me to value Indian art. Uh, he introduced me to the folk art of India, the miniature paintings, which I follow so much, shadow puppets, which I follow so much. Uh, I used to sit in his house and go through his library, which had all these books and sit and learn. So it was like that, friends, um, mentors. Apart from this, I also did uh, theater for three years. And that was again, a very influential part because I use it a lot in animation, My uh, what I learned in theater. So as you say, my shots look the theatrical. Yes, that is that has again been my uh, inspiration a lot. I love the form of the theater. I would want to do a lot more, but once I got into animation, I couldn't. So Satyadev Dubey, uh, is, he's not alive anymore, but he has taught me animation. And again, like uh, Ajit Rao, like Ram Mohan, he has taught a bunch of us, an entire generation who was in Bombay, who has learned theater and acting in theater through this person. And all this was at that time in the 90s, people were not charging for it. It was not a business. It was done as, a, as something that they like. So you worked, you earned your bread, you've uh, made money. And then in your spare time, you did all these things. So I think these four people have shaped all the work that I do uh, today. And in my formative years, what I learned. So even today, when I need to fall back to animation or fall back to uh, acting, these are my uh, mentors. Uh, I'm going to take one of the questions, which is uh, towards the end. But it was the one about if uh, how animation, uh, acting and animation go hand in hand. And I wonder if 
if you could speak to that. Yeah, uh, the, the I mean, when you see Bombay Rose, it's very different from uh, all other animation books because I have never recorded my voice actors acting. What is usually done in animation films is you have a voice actor and you shoot the, the actor doing the acting or you even uh, motion capture them and that is translated onto the characters. Uh, I never wanted to do that kind of... Uh, uh, I didn't want to take that uh, way of doing it because I felt you are just taking an actor and who is doing everything for you and you're doing it in animation. So for me, the creativity is not huge. Of course, it is debatable. But for me, it is not. For me, I feel every animator should act and feel like the character himself or herself and then bring it out. It's a very, very difficult process. Even my animators hated me because I said, I'm not going to give make it easy for you and I'm not going to shoot somebody who's perfect and does very good acting and you just copy it. It's not going to be so easy. You have to feel the emotion. You have to act it. And of course, animators are very um, shy people. They don't know how to act or anything. And for me, it was like, okay, doesn't matter. I will act out some of the characters for you. Just watch me. You're not shooting me. You're not taking a reference. Watch me. Feel it. And then bring it out. It was very, very difficult. But when they did it, they started enjoying it so much. Because after that, they realized, they said, we, we can never go back to uh, the earlier form of animation. So for me, some of the um, characters, uh, I, I did a lot of casting in the characters. Some of my animators were very good with certain characters because they were as a personality similar to that character. So they could feel the personality, they could act well, and then I would help them. I would also help them with uh, hand-holding them in terms of drawing. But each of them had to feel the emotion, had to act. And I said, you don't have to act in front of me. Do it in your mind. Do it when you just wake up. Do it in a bathroom. Doesn't matter. But it has to come down into your drawing. And slowly, slowly, they start watching actors. They start looking at acting. They start understanding what acting is all about when they have to bring it down into their drawings. And I would also do it for them. So this, in a way for me, acting, because I've done it in theater, I realized that the same role can be played by three different people. Each person puts in something very different in that character. When you do it in theater, you have understudies. One show, one person is performing. Another show, someone else is performing. The play works, the character works, but there is this little touch which is so different between the actors. And that never happens in films. It is locked. So I use that theatrical thing in uh, animation. Each time, let the animator feel it bring it out and that will be the truth. Reva Nano me rahe Nadia Nano me rahe Rang suna ebiti kahani Gandh kabhi na hove purani Ungli pakad kar hum khushbu ke bite I have a question about the music. Um, the, the, the music of the movie is really beautiful. Uh, again, it adds another layer of complexity. Uh, I really, I mean, even though I didn't understand the, 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 the language in the traditional uh, music, in Indian music, uh, I found it very beautiful and very powerful. So, uh, you know, what, I'm, I'm wondering what inspired your musical choices and, and how did you uh, uh, choose your sound designer? I mean, can you talk a little bit about the music in the movie? 
Yeah, uh, my sound designer, PM Satish, is somebody I've worked with for the last uh, three or four films that I've made. And we have such a beautiful sync. And I feel my in my film, I control the... I absolutely control the visual part of the film. But the only person I creatively actually collaborate with is my sound designer. Because the rest of it, I have a very clear picture of what I see. But I leave it on him as to what I hear. And we sing so well and he's so good. And he's he's a very celebrated uh, sound designer. But just because he's my friend, he, he works on all my films. And he also finds it a beautiful canvas because I'm the only person who gives him a film with no sound at all. And he has to start from silence. Whereas all other live action films that he does comes with scratch sound and then you're changing it. So he finds it a playground where he can start from zero. And most of the time, I, I don't interact with him too much at a basic level at all. At a very creative level, we sit, sit together and we decide how the film should sound. Um, my music choices are, uh, it, it's, it's a very different story uh, from sound design. Now, in animation, one of the first things that you need to do is to make an animatic of the entire film. And animatic is, is something I make uh, by myself individually. It takes me a year to make an animatic for a feature film. It took me one year for Bomberos. But I do it myself because that's really the part where you actually start and finish the film. And the rest is just animation. So it's got all the creative calls, everything. Uh, and the animatic is edited to about 90-95 minutes that the film is going to be. When I'm making those images and when I'm editing them, I'm uh, and this happens over a year. So you, you need to sustain the rhythm of the film and music helps a lot. So whenever I'm editing, I use a lot of music. And this is before I have started making the film. So when I do my visuals, I tend to use or choose music which exists and something which I've grown up hearing, something which I love. And uh, in, in Bombay Rose, the design uh, essentially for music was all the kind of music that people listen to. My characters listen to certain music, which happens in Bombay. When you get out of your house, you enter the lift and there is a music. And then you go down and then you meet a crowd of people and somebody has music on their mobile phone. Then you get into a taxi or a rickshaw and that person is playing his music. And then you come out and then there's another elevator to reach your office. And then in the office, just before you enter, the young people are playing some music that they want to. In the evenings, they're dancing to some other music. So you're surrounded. It's a very noisy city. You're surrounded with people's choices of what music they play. And this for me is very interesting. So if you're going, in, going into a neighborhood, which is of a certain culture, you will hear their music. And in a place like Bombay, it's so mixed. So the songs in my film are from different languages, from different parts of India, from different uh, generations listening to that music. So what I've done is a kind of uh, a montage of different music that happened, that's, that's happened over India, that's influenced the people that who live in Bombay. And like the dreams and like their stories, the music also belongs to them. Uh, Miss D'Souza's music belongs to where she comes from, the language that she comes from. It's difficult for you to understand, but they are from six or seven different languages. They might seem all Indian. And there's also a Spanish song and, uh, in the film. And the Spanish music is also what somebody who's an English-speaking Bombayite will listen to uh, on a gramophone. So these are music which people listen to. And how I designed it when I was doing the animatics was I used all this music from the internet and I put it into the film and I edited it. And finally, it was ready. And that's when my producers came on board and the finance happened. And we started working on the film saying we'll do the music in the end. But everybody fell in love with the music which existed. And this is all archival music. So we tried to get the uh, copyrights of all the archival music which I had used in the animatics because it gelled so perfectly with the uh, animation. We managed to get about 80 or 90% of the music that I had placed. And only one song which the girl sings in her mind was composed specifically for the film. Again, like uh, I don't like to follow the convention of animation films. I did not want a background score which is extremely musical and heavy, which happens in a lot of Disney Pixar uh, DreamWorks films. I find I found that noisy for my film. And I felt what is 
nice for Bombay is the kind of music that happens in the texture of Bombay. So background music went out and constructed music came in. It was not an easy decision. My sound designer also said, you know, I hope the producers agree to it because you have a lot of silence in the film. There are these very dramatic scenes in the film where you only hear the voice of the girl, how she would be singing and it becomes very emotional. And nobody was convinced that it's going to work. Finally, it worked. And I was like, I really pushed for it. I found one of the most amazing singers uh, whose voice I had heard in another film. And I got her to sing for the film. And I tortured her to, to uh, create that really uh, painful, uh, soulful music that she creates. I didn't let her sleep the whole night before the recording. And it was quite painful. It was cathartic. But I think it worked very well for the film. I mean, she, even she was happy with it. So music was, yeah, was quite, uh, for the first time I was trying something like this. And I think it worked because as I was telling Aram, uh, A.R. Rahman, who's a, a famous Indian composer, watched it, heard it, and he said, I think your decisions of not using a background score and doing this kind of very soulful music was very good. So I felt, oh, great, it worked. I found it very beautiful too. And, and I mean, even though I didn't understand the words, I had it playing in my head. You're like, you couldn't escape it. It was like, <laughs> it, 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 you found yourself thinking about it. It had permeated, you know, deep into, the, into my soul. And it was really interesting. And it was, again, I think also through the music, you give the sense of the plurality of Indian culture. Like there's many religions, many, <laughs> it's, it's a very, very rich uh, uh, ancient culture. So you, I mean, I think you deliver that message also through uh, a very masterful way of using music and obviously enhancing the sense of theatricality, the, the delivery, the, the, the punch and uh, of course, I love the kukuru kuku paloma moment when you're drawing a parallel between Salim and Miss D'Souza. And I just like, I had to cry. I'm like, bring yes. it up. Bring it up. I'm telling you that music makes you cry because I have seen that scene without the music and it did. And the fact that the music comes in, my producer, my financier cried. And my producer said, okay, I think it's fine because I think his money is not wasted. That, that, music and that scene, I could not see the two separate. The fact that they come together and even in Venice, the uh, Giona Nazaro, the uh, program director of Venice was sitting next to me, cried at that moment. And I said, oh, you found it emotional. <laughs> three times, three times I've seen the film. This song and this scene makes me cry. I have cried every time I heard that song in uh, Pedro Almodovar's movie. I have cried when I see it in Happy Together by Wong Kar Wai. That song is so evocative and uh, no wonder directors have used it. It has, it has something very emotional. So it had to be there and my producers worked really hard to get the copyrights of that song. And when someone like you who is outside of India tells me she it affects her, I think all that effort is worth it. As you said, it takes it to an international level. And yet it is a very believable Indian. It could be very well played in any uh, English speaking Indian house, even today. After that moment of the climax, when you see Kamala throwing the trinkets and in, in the, the garlands in, in, in the water, it's like a cathartic moment. It's like a moment of rebirth, you know? It's, it's, uh, it, and then she walks into the frame no, I think all cultures are very universal when it comes to the emotion. The sea, the uh, casting, the flowers, sea, music, it's so universal. Because the emotions that they create are absolutely universal. So for me, because my films travels on a path of emotion, I feel they're very comfortably uh, universal. I don't have to make an attempt. I know everybody will cry in any part of the world when something emotional happens. It doesn't have to be specific. We are, we are all very full of empathy and all cultures are also very um, believe in empathy. So some uh, emotion which a certain culture evokes can be felt on the opposite side of the world purely because that emotion is 
completely common. And grief is, 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 is the main emotion. All of us uh, feel grief, a music, even if, as you said, you don't understand the words. It's the path, uh, it's a tune, it's a melody, it's the feeling of the music, which does have the word. The words need not be understood. So music, I think, is so laden. It, again, has a universality. And imagery of certain things with emotions has a universality. And after a point, I wish people will forget it's an Indian film or that it's an animation film. And they will just be with the characters in the story and feel their, uh, feel what they are going through. You uh, decided to make a movie in which the protagonists are uh, people who live in the streets of Mumbai. You know, uh, I, I was saying that there is a fragility about uh, poverty. Uh, people lose their job. I mean, there is, the, there is this uh, innate fragility. Obviously, this project of um, having a subjects of a movie, uh, people who are the have-nots, the, marginal, the, the marginalized. It reminded me of Luis Buñuel's Los Olvidados, his movie he made in Mexico, or it reminded me of the Italian neorealist tradition, which um, like movies like Bicycle Thief or um, Rome Open City or Shusha, which have as subjects people who are poor, in most of the, in the Buñuel movie and in the Neorealist movie, movies, uh, there's usually just a gloomy, tragic ending. There's no contrary to your movie where you have uh, closure, you have emancipation. I mean, the, 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 the sense of loss gives way to a rebirth. Uh, and new opportunities. Um, so, uh, I mean, do you believe there's hope for people living in the, in the streets of Mumbai, Mumbai? The difference between the rich and the poor in a place like Bombay is not too much, as opposed to say a first world country like Italy, where the poor are really poor and the rich are not at all. This is the beauty of a third world country. And I still believe we are one, no matter what the government would like us to think. Because <laughs> of the number of people below poverty line, the percentage of people below poverty line in this country is so huge. Yes, you might have 11 people who are richer than everybody else in the world, but that is not, uh, it's, it's the inequality. Yet, you know, in a very large sense, a, a space like uh, Bombay and like uh, Delhi, is where the poor and the rich are thrown in together. We all have to live together. We all have to interact with each other all the time. And it's not um, very separate. So I feel very involved with them. Yes, I'm privileged in a lot of ways to be able to be educated, to be able to uh, do my uh, choose the work that I want to do. And they don't. And uh, the, the fact is that, again, unlike uh, a first world country, in a country like India, where you have a lot of young people, where you have a lot of energy, where you have a lot of people coming. Now, these are not poor people uh, by birth. These are a lot of them have lived in smaller cities or uh, villages where they might have land, where they have different kinds of wealth, but it doesn't work for them. So in search of opportunities, they come to a place like uh, Bombay. And then it's, it's very cruel because a lot of times they would want to go back and uh, live that idyllic life. But then you get trapped. So you have uh, a situation where they're not miserable. And uh, it all depends on how, how, they, uh, how they use their opportunities. And therefore, young people, optimistic people, people who uh, have the risk-taking abilities, when they find themselves in this situation, they work a lot harder. They do a lot of, they study in the nights, they want to come out of the situation. And which is why we are the kind of country we are right now. A lot of young, enthusiastic people who uh, don't mind uh, working a little extra and getting out of their uh, situations. Similarly, with parents who have sacrificed everything for this generation of kids to be able to study and come out are doing well. So in a sense, our country 
has been doing well even uh, i mean these these kids that you see these young people that you see can get jobs and it looks very hopeful i would say it did look to me absolutely hopeful till the lockdown and the covid situation the pandemic situation happened because that's where these people suffered the maximum the fact that they don't have permanent homes so they all had to go back to their villages or back to the places that they came from or they couldn't for the longest time so there's a lot of misery that has happened to people living on the streets in the last one year but before that i would have said which is where my story comes from i have seen people doing well in life i've seen people uh, and i've read stories about people being able to come out of their situations and do something in a city like bombay again i'm not falsely optimistic but i would look at the stories of hope and say yes there is and all of us have had to fight with whatever situation that we came in to go into another one and it is a country which is very ready to do so because nobody's really really rich everybody's struggling struggling to have a slightly better life you know when i was mentioning los olvidados and italian neorealism i think it's a way of telling stories um about empathy of uh, you know exploring empathy and and emotions of human tragedy and 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 uh, difficulty and i think you do that very well through the story uh, through telling the story of salim and and the little boy that they they take into into their home kamala and tara um i mean, i i, I think it helps us really explore our own empathy and the stories of migration immigration uh, i mean people going from the countryside to the city i mean those are universal stories and it's just interesting that um how how you how, how you tell those stories i mean what is interesting to me is the uh, uh the strength of the women the their hands on their their resilient they're working uh you know they the it seems like the whole society is relying relying on uh, on their back right the, the little girl is uh helps a little boy and and i mean the the, the women seem to really advance and and carry the the action and advance the narrative just me it's not fictional uh, i have not made any effort i'm just telling the stories of the pe- women who live around me and they're all like this they are doing more than their bit and that is taking uh, the the country forward of course it's not very appreciated but if you were to look around they are doing so much more they are uh, bringing up their kids they are cooking at home and they're going out and working and then looking after uh, very patriarchal husbands who don't cook at all and do just about anything but they're not letting that stop them from um giving it everything all the women that i meet around me just about all of them are working so much harder that i would find it difficult to find a typical woman who gives up in in at least my circle of friends my circle of people who work with my friends the service providers of that i live uh, with the people that i come across with women especially in a place like bombay because it is safe much safer than the rest of india for women to be working they are all armed and they are working and they are putting in that extra bit and as i was saying uh, about 40% of the staff on bombay rose was women without me making an effort the best i just looked at people's work and hired them i didn't even know whether they were men or women and they turned out to be uh, women because they are and as i said it is not conscious it is happening things are changing and the only thing one needs to do is aware of it when it's not um uh, when it's not a, making an extra effort to only have women but for me it feels like if the woman is uh, as competent as a man i would still trust in hiring a woman because there is so much more that comes with it discipline hard work being able to uh, retain uh, focus attention i worked in a studio which has worked with three uh, women uh, directors so i think that studio was also is, is also a place where the atmosphere for women who are working is friendly and nice and you need to keep that in control you definitely need to be a little alert with keeping things friendly and comfortable for women the moment you give them that they are i mean they're shining <laughs> 
Well, I, we have time for one last question. Uh, and and um, so uh, sadly, our, our time has come to an end. I would like to conclude the interview by asking you if you have any advice and encouragement for young filmmakers out there and in particular for young girls and women who dream of becoming directors and uh, animators. I think uh, the, the, the world right now and time right now, especially after the Me Too movement is wonderful, is very lucrative. It is something which has opened up uh, thought, opened up talk, opened up conversations about women's representations and it's changing very fast. So right now is the best time, I think, uh, like I wish instead of 28 years back, this is a time where I was starting out uh, my career and I was that younger because I would have felt a, a, a huge push and it's very encouraging. Only when you look at it as in comparison from where you came from. But the young girls now uh, and the young women now have to take it for granted and have to be very bullish and say this is the space that we uh, inherit, that we possess and very rightfully own and go forward. And then nothing else will stop you. So I, I really don't need to give them any advice except say, make the most of the situation and make the situation even better as you go along for the next generation. I think the women of my generation and the women before have worked for this and it is precious in all forms. And I feel the Me Too movement especially gave it so much of a thrust, so much of a, a push, so much of confidence even for people like me to come out and voice and make changes in the studios that I worked in to ask for certain things for women, which I wouldn't have been able to do so confidently before. So it's great. And we just need to take the confidence and the, the take certain things for granted that this is our space, this is our stage, this is our time, and we should make the most of it. Well, thank you. Let's invite everyone to uh... Uh, see uh, to, to check out Bombay Rose on uh, March 8th, International Women's Day. It will be released on Netflix. So I'll be, I know I will be seeing it again many times. And thank you for your time, Gitanjali. Uh, and thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Mariela. It is such a pleasure. And uh, yes, March 8th, I hope everybody. March 8th onwards, uh, watch the film, enjoy it, and like Maria Elena, cry through it. That would be my, <laughs> that would give me most pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It would be amazing if you could subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the VIEW conference on all social media. We have some amazing sessions coming up and we hope to see you all there.